Please turn with me to Acts chapter 18. We're going to, Lord willing, finish up Acts 18 this morning as we begin Paul's third missionary journey. And really don't spend that much time talking about Paul at all, but this is the beginning of that third missionary journey. As you turn there, just a reminder that we're participating in the Lord's Supper together this morning. And so uh, you don't have to be a member of Bethany Community Church in order to participate in the Lord's Supper with us. It's uh, open to all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so we invite you to, to participate uh, that, in that with us if you're visiting this morning, part of a different church body. And so when we stand to read God's Word here in just a moment. If you didn't grab one of these as you came in, uh, feel free uh, to, to do that. You can go now, too. It's all right. Um, if you, if you need to, to do that. Well, let, let's, uh, though, we'll begin by, by reading here from Acts 18. So you can stand with me in honor of God as we read his, his word together. Remember, we finished the second missionary journey last week, and now we, we begin uh, here in verse 23 of Acts 18. And let's, let's read what happens here as this, this begins. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructing the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to, visit, uh, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the, the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we would ask uh, not just for encouragement this morning, but, but conviction. We pray that we would believe the things that you have said in your word, uh, that we would be competent in the scriptures, that we would know them, believe them, and, and teach them to others, proclaim them to others. And we pray uh, just for our, our, our church. We, we think about the, the world in which we live today, and we, we would ask for for you to, to bring supernatural peace uh, to the, the people of, of the world and we think of just uh, particularly hot spots in our, our world right now. We, we pray that you'd give our, our leaders and uh, leaders of, of other nations wisdom and grace and the ability to, to do hard things. But we, we pray that within the context of our local church, uh, we would have the ability to, to proclaim peace to one another through faith in your son Jesus, and to, to disciple one another, to encourage one another in knowing and loving and following your son Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, as we begin the third missionary journey of Paul, we're kind of beginning a, a three-week series here on discipleship. And we're going to talk this morning about the, the characteristics of a disciple as we look at Apollos. And then next week, again, all this is Lord willing, we're going to look at, at doctrine and discipleship, the importance of doctrine in the, the process of discipling. And then the last week, where we spend today talking about the characteristics of a disciple, 
The last week, we're going to talk about the characteristics of a discipler. So what is it tr- what's true of us as we come alongside others and help them know, love, follow Jesus Christ. And again, this is happening, I believe, very kindly in God's providence at an important time in the life of our church. As Kent announced last week, he'll be uh, retiring at the end of the year, and so his ministry here at Bethany Community Church is going to obviously look dramatically different, and our, our ministries at Bethany Community Church are going to look different, and it's caused us to have to ask some questions about our ministries of, of, of biblical counseling and discipleship. And, and even as I say, our ministries of biblical counseling and discipleship, we want to be careful not to, to view those as two separate ministries, right? Let me, let me show you a figure. We've talked about this before. Uh, this is from a book called Biblical Counseling and the Church, edited by Bob Kellerman. And sometimes we think of, of the discipleship ministry and the biblical counseling ministry as, as two different ministries. So here's, over here, here's discipleship, and over here, am I doing that right? Yeah, and over here, here's counseling, right? And so those are, those are two kind of different things. But as, as Kent has shared before, as we've talked about before, they're, they're not separate. There's, there's similarities. There's, discipleship is kind of the overarching ministry, and, and biblical counseling is a part of that. In fact, one of the definitions that Kent has uh, sometimes given is that discipleship is living and speaking like Christ in order to help others become more like Christ. Or as Mark Dever has said, uh, discipleship is, is helping other people follow Jesus. And that's, that's what Scripture defines as discipleship, and it's what Scripture commands us to do as the church. Jesus defines discipleship this way in Mark chapter 8, for example, in verse 34, where he says, if anyone would come after me, in other words, if someone would, someone would follow me, be like me, be discipled by me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's, that's discipleship, following Jesus, becoming more like him, and there he describes what that looks like, taking up the cross. And that's the great commission, that's the command that Christ has given his church at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'm, I'm with you, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we'll be unpacking that, I'm sure, some more in the weeks to come. That's the task of the church, our, our purpose statement. We exist to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare his people to worship him forever. What is that? That's discipleship as we are being prepared to worship God forever. The only way to do that is to become more like Jesus. That's discipleship. So instead of seeing discipleship and biblical counseling as, as two separate ministries, here's, here's a better way to understand discipleship and, and care. And I, when I asked Blake, as, as he's going to be doing, have more responsibilities as, as Kent retires, I said, you know, what are some things you would make sure, you would want me to make sure that I communicate to the church as we spend these three weeks talking about discipleship? And he, and he mentioned this, this kind of figure also from the same book, Biblical Counseling and Discipleship by, by Kellerman, or edited by Kellerman. And here we, we see this. We see that biblical counseling and discipleship aren't two separate ministries, but really all the ministry of the church and care of the church is designed to, for us to care for one another. And on, on one end of the spectrum, you have just relationships, intentional relationships. Every relationship 
that you have with others in this church should be intentional. One of the, the constant questions you should be asking yourself as you engage in relationships at Bethany Community Church is, is how can I help other people become more like Jesus Christ? Will people know Jesus Christ more and love him more and be following him more deeply because they're in a relationship with me? And then there's other kind of parts of the spectrum. Sometimes there's going to be directive care and discipleship, so we do a Bible study together. Sometimes you're going to find out some things that are going on in someone's life, and there's going to be corrective discipleship and care. You're going to say, okay, I need to, 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 to come alongside this, this sister who I love and say, hey, this, this thing that you're, you're pursuing is not going to be a, a thing that leads to joy and God's glory. And then, of course, there's times of what we call intensive discipleship. This is biblical counseling. This is a marriage in crisis. And so you're, you're spending time with this this married couple, and you're saying, look, let's, let's talk about how when you're in this marriage situation and things are in crisis, here's how you can glorify God in the midst of this, and, and we, can, we can help some healing take place. And here's the reality. Not every person in here is equipped to come alongside a marriage in that situation, right? Some of you would say, I'm definitely not equipped to do that. And that's okay. Our desire, of course, would be that everyone would be growing toward that, but no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, you are certainly, if you are a believer, in a place where you can be intentional in relationships with others, helping them become more like Christ. That's our goal. That's what we want to have happen at our church. That's what we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks. What does it look like for a church to be committed as a body, to becoming more like Christ. And, and honestly, we as a church, oftentimes, we've, we've spent a lot more time on the, the intensive discipleship than we have just an in, in intentional uh, discipleship and relationship. And that's something we'll talk about how we can grow in as well. Here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think about over these coming weeks. This is kind of the main idea of, of, this, of the series, really. Very simple. The local church makes disciples. This is what we exist to do as a church. The local church has been entrusted by God with the commission to make disciples. And so we're going to talk about how we can do that as a church over the coming weeks. And then more specifically, hopefully it didn't take you too long to write that down. More specifically, what do we want to be talking about this morning as we look at Apollos? Here's, here's what we want to talk about today. A disciple is one who is committed to following Christ more fully. None of us have yet arrived where we need to be in terms of looking like Christ. And so a, a disciple isn't someone who has fully arrived at, at complete maturity, but a disciple is a, a person who has recognized their sin, has recognized the penalty for their sin as eternal separation from God, and has placed their faith upon Jesus Christ for salvation. They are trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And now, because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their, their salvation, now they are growing and becoming more and more like their Savior. There, there's no alternative, by the way, for a person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There's, there's no such thing as a person who places their faith in Jesus Christ and then says, I'm done. A disciple, a follower of Christ, is one who is becoming more and more like their Savior. So we're going to look this morning at seven characteristics that are true of a follower of Christ. 
of a believer, of a person who is a Christ follower. Here's the first one. Number one, a disciple is a person who has some unique opportunities, some unique opportunities. Originally, I, I said a, a disciple is one who has some unique abilities, and I was talking about this passage with Blake and Phil, and as we kind of looked at the passage, I said, you know what, Daniel, I think there's, there's more here than just abilities. There's, there's, uh, there's kind of these, all these opportunities that make us who we are, our abilities, our circumstances, and so we, we went a little broader here. Look at the text, verse 23. Notice this first. It begins with Paul's third missionary journey, and there's a lot less information about how it began. Remember the first missionary journey? We see the church in Antioch is praying and fasting. They, they set aside Paul. The second missionary journey, remember, it began with Paul and Barnabas saying, we want to visit some of the churches from the first missionary journey, and they, there's that disagreement, and then Paul goes one way, and, and God, as he begins that second missionary journey, calls him into Macedonia, goes to Macedonia, Achaia. Uh, Achaia. Th- that's, that's how the second missionary journey transpires. The third missionary journey just it kind of begins very quickly. In fact, if you're reading quickly, you might not even notice that another missionary journey has begun. It says, after spending some time there, he, he departs, and he goes from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Another thing that I think is kind of interesting about this beginning to the, the third missionary journey is that it, it, the evangelistic focus of the first and second missionary journey seems to be a little bit more muted, and here it's on discipleship, discipling people who have already placed their faith in in Christ, at least here in the emphasis in verse 23. Then Luke draws our attention to a specific individual, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. So a couple things here that I want you to notice about Apollos. And again, as we think about a disciple as a person who has unique opportunities, think about how Apollos is, is uniquely situated. Notice a couple things here. First of all, it says that he is from Alexandria. Alexandria is the, the most prominent at this time, the most prominent city in Egypt that's part of the Roman Empire. It's kind of the, the Roman Empire's capital in Egypt. It's this incredibly large city. It's one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. And it's a city that is known for its educational and, and, and philosophical strengths. Philo, the famous Jewish philosopher, lives in Alexandria at this time. And so whenever Luke tells us that Apollos is from Alexandria. What he's telling us is Apollos is is from this region in the Roman Empire where he would have had exposure to intellectual and and philosophical educational opportunities, potentially, if he availed himself to them. And it seems like he did. He also, the text tells us, comes to Ephesus Apollos comes from Alexandria to Ephesus. Why? The text doesn't tell us. Perhaps it was business, but somehow he has the, the means to arrive here in Ephesus. And then the, the third thing that I want you to notice here as we begin verse 24 is that it tells us he was eloquent. He was eloquent. Now, that doesn't just mean he speaks real purdy. Um, what, what it means here, eloquent can also have this idea of, of educational, um, a person who's, who's well-educated. You can tell as I stutter. I've never been accused of being super eloquent, right? You know. But by here, eloquent means the person who has this educational background 
and, and the ability to communicate thoughts well. You know, you've, you've been at a party before, and uh, someone takes you aside, and the whole party, they're just talking to you, right? And at, at the end of the, the party, you ask, was that, was that person eloquent? He said, well, they talked a lot, you know, but they didn't really have a lot to say. Right? Or you're, you're in a lecture, and a person is very well educated, and they they talk for a very long time, and at the end, you, someone asks you, were they eloquent? They said, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't quite understand really anything they said. You know? Apollos has something to say, and he has the ability to say it well. Does that make sense? He's, he's eloquent in, in that sense. He has the ability to, to take the Scripture and explain it in a way that the people can understand. There's, there's content and the ability to communicate that content well. So you look at Paul describing Apollos in 1 Corinthians. He, he talks about his, his eloquence and one of the, the, the things that apparently he was, he was uh, a person who could draw people to himself. They, some people would identify themselves as disciples of Apollos. You can read that in 1 Corinthians, those first four chapters. But, but here, Apollos is, is eloquent. Now, here's... Here's a point of application that I would, I would make here for all of us. First, first this. There are natural abilities that God has given you. And there are natural circumstances in which he has placed you that have provided you with, with unique opportunities to, to grow in Christ and become more like him and to be used for God's glory. It's kind of like this, you know, our, our, our natural abilities and our, our circumstances are, are like this clay. And, and the Holy Spirit has, has given the clay life and, and, and spiritual giftings. And now the process of discipleship is like taking these unique opportunities. The church kind of comes alongside you and, and helps mold you into a vessel that can be used for God's glory. That's, that's the process of discipleship. You, you take where that person is and you're able to use those things, those abilities and, and circumstance, life circumstances, some good, some bad, and, and create a, a vessel designed to be used for God's glory. Or to kind of extend the, the metaphor a little bit, think about Michelangelo. Michelangelo famously is, is said to have one time said that every block of stone has a statue inside of it. And it's the task of the sculpture, sculptor to discover it. Remember Michelangelo's famous statue of David? You know that, that block of marble was not that great a block of marble. It had been sitting in the city of Florence for, for decades. For, I think for like a hundred years the city of Florence had been trying to, to get this statue made of David. They had found this block of marble and it wasn't a great quality marble. A couple sculptures, sculptors had tried to, to do something with it and, and given up, and Michelangelo looks at it, and, and he sees a masterpiece inside of it. And so what does he do? He begins to, to chip away. If you look at Michelangelo's David and compare it to contemporary renderings of David, you'll notice that his, Michelang his David is a little more slender, and he doesn't have like a Goliath head in his hand, you know? Uh, and, and what had happened is, as he looked at this piece of marble, he realized that his David was going to need to have some different dimensions, and because of some of the, the imperfections in the marble, he had to chip away at the, the marble in different ways than another sculptor might have tried to do. And what happened? 
he produces a masterpiece. What is that? That's discipleship. God has not created a monolithic church where we all have the same abilities, where we all have the same life circumstances. God has, has created each of us to, to come to be a part of the body and, and to, to be able to do unique things. And discipleship is, is, this, is this work of crafting of God through the work of his spirit preparing us for ministries to bring glory to him. That requires some chipping away, right? Without a willingness to do that, for people to have that happen to them, we wouldn't be what God needs us to be. Here's the second characteristic. Number two, a disciple has a knowledge of God's word. And, and you might say a, a belief in God's word. Really what I'm trying to convey here as we look at this part of the text is this is a person who's a believer. They, they, when they encounter God's word, they believe it to be true. To put more simply, what I'm saying here is the disciple is a believer. Look what else it says about Apollos. It says that another characteristic of him here, he's, verse, as verse 24 ends, it says that he was eloquent and competent in the scriptures. He had the ability to handle the scriptures well. He had been instructed, verse 25 tells us, in the way of the Lord. So apparently in Alexandria, by the way, Alexandria has a huge Jewish population. Like I mentioned, it was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire, and there were five districts of the city, and one of the districts was populated entirely of Jews, and then part of a second district had a high Jewish population. So he would have been have access to Jewish instruction there in Alexandria. And so not only does he have a, a knowledge of the scripture, he believes it to be true. And one of the questions that we ask sometimes as we look at the end of verse 18, and I'll talk about the, or the end of chapter 18, going into chapter 19, I'll talk more about this next week, is was Apollos a Christian? And, and I believe that he was. I think the answer is yes. And I'll talk more about this next week as we contrast him with a, a different group. But I believe that what we see here is that Apollos is a person that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is proclaiming from the scriptures the truths about Jesus being the Messiah. But clearly, we're in a time here between the old covenant and, not between, but a time where the old covenant has been done away with, and now the new covenant has been inaugurated, and there's this period of transition in terms of, of people's understanding of these two covenants. And so, Apollos, I believe, is a new covenant believer. I think he's a Christian, and yet, he has a hard time grasping some of the implications of that. He's unaware of the baptism that Jesus commanded that we read earlier in the Gospel of Matthew. But I think he's a believer. He's teaching faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the cornerstone of the Gospel. It doesn't mention him needing to receive the Spirit, but there's a deficiency that we'll talk about in a moment. What's clear? He knows Scripture, he's instructed about Christ, and he's competent. But here, here's the point I think we need to be careful to make as we think about discipleship. A disciple has a knowledge of God's word. And again, what I'm saying there is that a disciple is a person who's a believer. The application is, is this. Unbelievers are not disciples. Unbelievers are not disciples. Sometimes in the church, we have a tendency to, to not differentiate between believers and, and unbelievers. And we kind of have this the shotgun approach to talking about the Lord. And, and sometimes, and I think this is spiritually dangerous, we can take people who aren't believers and expect them, if they just start doing some of the right things, to, 
to begin that, that road of discipleship. And I think it's very important to come alongside a person who's an unbeliever and say, look, uh, you don't understand the gospel. This is why church membership is so important. Look, you're, I know you're, you're coming to Bethany Community Church. I'm glad you're part of Bethany Community Church. Yeah, you can be involved in some of these things. We want to come love you and we want to be in relationship with you. But until you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not on the road that leads to life. You're, you're not on the path of discipleship. And so if I, if I tell you to do your marriage this way and raise your children this way and to, to kind of think about your finances this way and you start doing those things and I'm, I'm telling you to do all these things and hoping that you kind of live this way, there, there might be some, some benefit in, in terms of life and things going well, but it's very dangerous to just teach an unbeliever to be moral, just create a moralist. Now the flip side of this, that a disciple is a believer, if you are a believer, discipleship isn't a, a thing you can kind of add on to the existing ministries that maybe you're doing. Discipleship is a way of life. We're not trying to create moralistic believers. We're not trying to create moralistic unbelievers, but people who are responding to the truth of the gospel that they have believed. Discipleship flows from new life. Listen to what John says in 1 John Chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, he says, Whoever says, I know him, that's, that is, whoever says, I, I know God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So a person who says, yeah, I love the Lord, but isn't following after the Lord in discipleship, that person is, is lying. There's not new life within them, if that is characteristic of them. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is, is, is being perfected. And by this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The point, again, is this. is A disciple is one who has a knowledge of God's word and believes it to be true. They have new life that the Spirit has given them. And now they begin to exhibit that new life by, by walking that path of discipleship. It is not an optional path for a person who has claimed life in Jesus Christ. Conversely, if a person doesn't have life, we don't just tell them, hey, obey a bunch of commandments. We recognize new life does not yet exist there. Here's the third thing I want us to think. Number three, a disciple has a passion for God. A disciple has a passion for God. I love how Paul is described here at the end of verse 25. It says he's fervent in spirit. Now some have said, well, that means he's just an excited guy. Apollos is one of those guys that, that just gets excited about all sorts of things. You know, he's, he's excited about the word of God. He's excited about the synagogue. He's excited about the Super Bowl. That, I don't think that's what he's, he's saying here, right? It says that he's fervent in the spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. I think he's fervent in the spirit. I believe that it's, it's the spirit. I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, Luke is. I, I tend to think it's just the second option. You know, there's different passages in the scripture that we've seen where people are passionate. You think about Simon the magician earlier in Acts. That guy's passionate, but it's not a, a, a spirit-fueled passion. I, I think this is. This isn't the passion of an unregenerate person. It's not the passion of, of a person who doesn't want to glorify God. It's, a, it's the passion of a person who has a passion for God and his glory. It says that he's speaking in the synagogue too, right? We're going to talk about that in a moment. That doesn't mean he's necessarily a missionary. He's not a religious leader. He's, he's probably someone that's kind of acquainted with the debates about the Messiah, and he, 
he's chiming in here. The, the point here is that a successful disciple is not just a passionate person. Their, their passion has a, a direction, it has an end, and that end is ultimately the glory of God. I'm sure this is true for you as well, but I've encountered a lot of people who are super enthusiastic for a period of time about spiritual things. A person who is a true disciple is going to be a person whose passion persists because their passion isn't in external things, but ultimately in God. Enthusiasm in and of itself is not what makes someone a good disciple. It's a God-directed enthusiasm. Think about Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's this, this gift that Timothy has. There's excitement perhaps initially when he receives it. But Paul recognizes this is a gift that needs to be, be nurtured and directed and grown. A disciple is a person who has a true passion for God. Number four, a disciple... A disciple is one who has deficiencies. Now, now we start to get a little unpleasant here, right? Luke tells us, again, we're in this time of transition between, sorry, we're in a time of, of people's, people are in transition between the old covenant and the new covenant. God isn't in transition. The covenants aren't in transition. But, but in terms of people's understanding of the old and the new covenant, that's a time of transition that we see here in the book of Acts. And Apollos, for whatever reason, only understands, only is aware of the, the baptism of John. There's a doctrinal deficiency that Apollos has. He doesn't know, for whatever reason, about the command of Christ that Christians are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we call the baptism of Jesus, the, the baptism that Jesus commanded. Perhaps he's in Alexandria, and as he's in Alexandria, he begins to be aware of the different debates among the Jews about this person named Jesus, and someone comes to Alexandria, and they talk about Jesus, and they talk about the, how the, the scriptures point to Jesus, and, and Apollos hears about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He believes that to be true. He hears about John the Baptist and that baptism, but he doesn't hear about the command to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and so he, he isn't doesn't know about it. He has this deficiency. Now, um, remember we all love each other here. Um, you have some deficiencies <laughs> as a disciple. You, have, you, we, have not yet fully arrived at who we are to be in eternity. Some of you have some deficiencies of temperament. <laughs> Some of you, I'm not looking at anyone in particular when I say this. <laughs> Someone's doing this. Is it him? Yeah. Because that guy is doing this. Some of us have some, 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 some just personal deficiencies. There's, there's some things we do, a little weird. Some of us have some, some doctrinal deficiencies. Some of us have, just in terms of obedience to the Lord, there's some, some deficiencies. We're not even aware that we're walking in disobedience in some areas. In terms of walking the path of discipleship, there are deficiencies. Every person in this room has deficiencies. We are not yet who we need to be in Christ to be used for the fullness of the glory of God. There's some deficiencies in our, our, our personal life. 
and our, our practices of the doctrines of grace. You're a, you're a damaged piece of marble. You're a mediocre piece of marble that needs the master's hand of chiseling. What does that require? Number five, a disciple has a willingness to receive instruction. Verse 26 is so beautiful, isn't it? If we had all just, just received the, the truth that's, that's behind verse 26 here, how great would our lives be for God's glory? Here's Apollos. He is speaking boldly, it says, in the synagogue. And Priscilla and Aquila hear him. Now, again, this doesn't mean he's a religious leader. Maybe he'd received some training in Alexandria. He's aware of the controversy within Judaism. And so as, as he's here in Ephesus, he's speaking boldly like, hey, if you have any questions about Jesus, let me tell you who Jesus is. And he's talking about the, the, the necessity of, of turning from sin, something that John emphasized. He's, he's talking about the, 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 the prophet Isaiah and how he prophesied concerning who the Messiah would be, and then he's talking about Jesus' life, and he's talking about how Jesus had to suffer and, and die for his people and then be raised from the dead. And he's, he's describing all these things, and somehow uh, Aquila and Priscilla are there, and they're like, uh, he's not mentioning baptism. Uh, it's interesting to issues baptism, isn't it, too? <laughs> he doesn't understand baptism right. We, we, need, we need to talk to him. And so they do, Right? They, they determine there's a need, and, and the word here is proslambano. It, it means to, it's, it's the same word sometimes you use for hospitality. Some translations, in fact, say they, they took him to their home. Proslambano, they, they, they receive him to themselves. It's, it's not a word that means rebuke. They didn't you know, you know, pull out their, you know, their, their phone and start, I'm going to tweet that guy, and you know, start arguing with him on a tweet war or something. They, it's, it's, a, it's a desire to see this person walk more fully, and so they, they receive him as a friend. They recognize that he's a fellow believer in, in Christ, and so they, they receive him as a brother, and they, they, it says, speak the word of God more accurately to them. Say, here's, here's what you don't understand. Here's, here's what, this isn't just a, a preference issue. Here, here's what we understand the teaching of Jesus to be, and, and here's how it, it relates back to the Scripture, and here's how you're not walking in, in obedience to that. They receive him. They, they welcome him. Again, the word's similar to hospitality. It's not a public rebuke. It's not even a private rebuke in that sense, right? It's, it's gently coming alongside a person. And we'll talk more about this in two weeks as we talk about the characteristics of a person who's doing discipleship, right? But just, just notice that right off the bat. It's a warm embrace as a brother. In fact, a couple other things to notice here before we go on. Notice it's not just Aquila, but it's, it's Priscilla as well. It's, it's his, in fact, whenever Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned in Scripture, it's often Priscilla, the wife, who's mentioned first. Now, I say this just to remind you of this. If your view of, of women and of complementarianism, which our church believes about men and women having different roles, if your view of complementarianism is that, that women have no right to speak scripture to a man, you've got a real problem here, right? Or if your belief is that uh, it's inappropriate for a woman to, to teach a guy something from the Bible, man, I, I think you have a hard time reconciling that with this 
with this passage. In 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but he's talking there about the, in the context of the, the local church assembly, I believe, you know, so on a Sunday morning in terms of the, the public proclamation, but it does not preclude women from helping their brothers understand God's word more fully. Just like a man does, they, they do in the right way, at the right time, relationship, but, but it's, it's a necessity for us as men, to learn from women. In fact, men, I would just tell you this. If you're failing, if you're failing to avail yourself to, to the wisdom that the women in your life have concerning God's word and helping you understand it more fully, you are missing out on an incredible opportunity that God has. In fact, you're in disobedience, I believe, to what God would have you do in your relationship with the women in your life. Another aside here, just notice this is, this is something we've, we see throughout this passage. It's not just Paul who's ministering here. There's, it's Apollos, it's um, Aquila and Priscilla are ministering as well. They're, the, the ministry is being done by multiple people. We'll talk more about that next week and the following week. But Apollos responds well. You can imagine a scenario where Apollos says, look, <laughs> that's great. Um, I'm from Alexandria. You know, ever, Philo, ever heard of him? Uh, and, and are you seeing the way that people are responding to me? I have the ability to communicate well. I have a big ministry. Big things are in store for me. I think I know what I'm doing. That's not how he responds. He listens to what they say, and as a result, he grows in his ability to communicate the gospel and is used by God in incredible ways in the first century church. A zealous person who is gifted and passionate but not humble enough to receive correction will be of limited eternal value for the Lord. Let me just read you a couple of Proverbs here as we think about the need to be humble and receive instruction. Proverbs 13 says this, Proverbs 13, verse 13, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Verse 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. For, for the person who's wise, they look at the instruction of, of wise people and say, ah, life is there. Later in that chapter, verse 18, poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. Proverbs 15, listen to what Proverbs 15 says beginning in verse 31. The ear, the ear that listens to reproof, it doesn't just say reproof, it says life-giving reproof. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. And that's not just your ear dwelling among the wise. The person attached to the ear who listens to reproof dwells among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. If you do not listen to instruction and reproof, you are, you, you don't care about yourself. You despise yourself. The fear of the Lord, again, this is Proverbs 15, now verse 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. What are the characteristics of a person who is unwilling to be taught? The person who's unwilling to be taught is arrogant. That person doesn't listen. I mean, maybe, maybe you come along, maybe someone comes to you and they begin to, to talk and and. You hear what they say, 
but you don't listen. There's not receiving the things that they're saying. The person who's unwilling to be taught is, is stagnant in their spiritual life. The person who doesn't willing, isn't willing to be taught is a person who always knows the answer, right? A person who, who isn't willing to be taught says, okay, you're saying that, but I, I know the real answer, and they, they're, they're quick to speak, slow to listen. They hate themselves. Their end is pain. All of us at every stage of ministry are, are going to have some unique challenges in, in heeding instruction and listening to others. When I was on a sabbatical, visited a church, and um, the the uh, the church had some kind of a cool thing. They introduced all their elders this Sunday morning, and, and they stood up. And I I look um, I, I look around at, at the guys that are standing up, and I, I said to Whitney, I'm like, man, these guys, it's like the it's like the nursery ministry got out or something. They made them all elders. I mean, this is, uh, these guys are young. The guy that was, was preaching was like in his mid-20s. And I, I, I thought, man, what's, like, what's the qualification to be an elder here? Like your voice has to have changed? I mean, these guys, this whole church is really young, you know, really young. And, and, and I, 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 you know, my, I thought, man, I, I'm getting old, right? I'm getting old. Like there's this, and, and what is, what's, the t- what's the temptation of someone who, who's been in ministry for a couple decades. Ah, these guys know what they're talking about. What is that? It's foolishness. Our temptation is to, is to put up barriers between ourselves and God's truth to, to prevent ourselves from, from being convicted by the word, right? I was talking with someone else about this, this idea uh, just this last week, and, and they were talking about how, how well, so, you know, it's, it's just natural to not listen to instruction. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's why God gives us his word. And I actually, even as I was sitting there, and I listened to this, this young man exposit God's word. I said, oh, God, just forgive me for being so arrogant. There is so much that I can learn from this young man as he, as he brings me to God's word. There are many reasons you will give yourself to not listen to God's word. There are many reasons that you will give yourself to not listen to someone's instruction You'll say, oh, that person that's telling me that, that person's a hypocrite. They, they may be telling me, but, you know, I don't have to listen to them because they're a hypocrite. Or, you know what, they, they told me four things about my, they said that I, I uh, yell at my kids, I'm disrespectful to my wife, and I kick a dog. I've never kicked a dog. I don't need to listen to that person. You know, you, 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 just, you take the one thing that they said about you that's incorrect, and you say, I, I don't have to listen to anything that that person's saying. Or maybe you say, well, that person's tone was wrong. They told me what I needed, but their tone was, was, was really inappropriate. And so you, you dismiss what they're saying. Or maybe you say, well, that, that person told me that, but, but their timing was wrong. So I don't, I, I don't need to listen right now because their timing was wrong. I have this big project at work, and it's just, you know, they shouldn't have said that to me right now. I don't need to think about it because I've got so much other things going on. Or you might tell yourself, I know that already. This person's coming alongside me. They're trying to tell me something. I, I know all that already. Or you might tell yourself, um, yeah, that's true, but, but nobody's perfect. You see, there's all these things we can do to try to minimize our reception to correction. Apollos does none of that garbage, right? He receives it, and his ministry has changed as a result. Here, here's just a question for you that I would ask you to, to think about with me. This is, a, this is a question I've had to ask myself this past week. 
when was the last time that someone spoke a word of correction to you and you received it and changed as a result? If it's been a long time, <laughs> why? You said, well, clearly I haven't needed one. Maybe. Maybe it's because you're too hard to approach. Maybe the people in your life are afraid to say hard things to you. Maybe what you need to do is say, you know, it's been a long time since the people who are closest to me have said anything from God's word about my behavior. I need to invite them. Say, you know what? I, I know I've been kind of standoffish. We, I encourage somebody to do that today. Hey, we forgive me for not receiving. I need you to tell me and, and see where I can change. Maybe your husband, hey, tell your wife, honey, can you tell, where have I just been failing in, in caring for our family well? I, I want to I love you well with God's word. Or maybe, maybe you're putting on a facade. Maybe the reason no one approaches you to correct you because you're not letting anyone, anyone know what's really going on in your heart. I had to ask myself, you know, in my relationship sometimes, do I not, am I not transparent enough in what's going on in, in my heart? Or maybe you've just done a really good job at having lots of relationships that you keep this far away and no one can get close enough to you to really know what, what's going on in there and that's some areas that you need to ask the Lord to change. Or maybe people have tried to correct you time and time again, and you were just unwilling to receive it. You always have a reason why they're wrong. Yeah, they keep saying this is true, but their tone isn't nice, their timing's wrong. I can't change. I can't deal with that. Look, this is something I've had to ask myself this week, and I encourage you to ask yourself this week. And just ask the Lord to reveal this to you. Lord, I, I want to be like Apollos here. I recognize my, I'm deficient. I don't know where I'm deficient. Please change me. I'll tell you this. In terms of the people I need speaking into my life, I don't need a person discipling me who is unwilling to receive counsel himself or herself. That, that's not the person I need speaking into my life. You know, you know who I need speaking into my life and who I yearn to speak into my life? are other believers who are gentle and humble and have recognized their need for the gospel, received it, changed, and now want to help me change as well. That's who I need. I don't need a person who has all the answers and doesn't need any solutions. I need a person who's been humble themselves. And the people who are most prepared to offer spiritual counsel are those who are most aware of their need for God's grace and instruction and have received it. Here's the sixth thing I'd encourage us to think about. Number six, a disciple, we'll talk about these last two kind of quickly because um, we'll be dealing with them in more detail in the coming weeks. Number six, a disciple has the encouragement of a local church. It says he wished to cross to Achaia and the, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. This is a really cool passage, right? I mean, Apollos has a desire to, to do a ministry. Maybe he's heard from Priscilla and Aquila what's going on 
in southern Greece there. Maybe he's, maybe he's heard from other people the exciting things that have happened. And for whatever reason, as he is in the context of the local believers, he hears about the things that God is doing, and he wants to go. And he doesn't just say, well, guys, I'm going. He, he talks to the other believers about it, the local assembly of the brothers, the church, and they affirm him in that ministry, and they write a letter to encourage him in that ministry. It's not arrogant to want to be engaged in ministry. It's just not healthy to decide unilaterally what ministry you'll do and engage in that without input or direction. Blake encouraged me to mention Ephesians 4 in these coming weeks, and we'll deal with this more. But in verse 12, it says, God gave shepherd teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and so forth. And so the idea is that all believers are engaged in, the, in ministry within the life of the church where we're encouraging one another. And here's the last thing, number seven. A disciple has a ministry of multiplication. As we receive instruction from others, by God's grace, we don't receive that instruction just so that we can achieve our best selves, Right? There's a ministry of multiplication that takes place. Apollos is ministered to by Priscilla and Aquila, and then as he's ministered to, the outgrowth of that is ministry to others. He goes from being a receiver to a giver, to life imputation. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, the things you've received from me instruct others also. The local church makes disciples, and and specifically here today, we see that a disciple is one who's committed to following Christ more fully. And our goal is that those of us who've received Jesus Christ through faith in his Son, uh, who received Jesus Christ, placing our faith in the Son of God, that we would be growing in our ability to be changed into his image. Let Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word here. We recognize our our deficiencies. We are not the disciples we desire to be, and and even more importantly, we are not the disciples you desire us to be. We pray that in your grace you would convict us of sin. You would bring brothers and sisters alongside us who love us, and you help us be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.